But I believe the biggest revolution we're going to see in the next five to 10 years in healthcare is a massive increase of quality of care because we have data and we're able to act on data. Welcome to the CIO Exchange podcast, where we talk about what's working, what's not, and what's next. I'm Edine Porter de Leon. How do you fight for your own life along with the life of billions of others in the world? While technology was able to dramatically accelerate the development of the COVID-19 vaccine, even with distributed teams, that speed pushed the people on those teams to their limits. This episode, which aired live from the Healthcare Information and Management System Society, or HIMSS, conference on August 11, 2021, about a month after the Delta variant had become the dominant form of the coronavirus in the U.S., we hear a conversation with Moderna's CEO, Stefan Bansell, and VMware's president, Sumit Duwan. Bansell talks about the daily realities of developing the vaccine, as well as all the technology that went into it, covering advanced AI modeling, genetic mapping, and cloud-native computing, along with the human element that made these advancements possible, and what that means for the quality of life that can be possible for everyone as we learn to live with this new virus in the years to come. Uh, Stefan, good to see you again. Uh, seems like we always get to see each other on Zoom, but uh, it's been great hearing your story and honored to have be here with you and share the story with the audience, both here in the room as well as thousands of people watching online. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to see you again, Sumit. So maybe just can you share any latest updates before we go into the technology on the outlook for the variant and then we'll connect it back to the technology? Sure. So maybe just a couple of highlights. Uh, and if you want more, you tell me, but I'm trying to be crisp. Uh, the virus is never going to go away from the planet, is what we believe. The virus is going to still mutating a lot, I would guess, until the summer to the end of 2022. I think there's another good 12 to 18 months of a lot of mutations coming. I will already plea right now, because as you've seen, the, the number of people infected with Delta is very, very high. It's a very, very infectious virus compared to the original virus. It transmits very easily. Uh, so especially in places of the world where we don't have enough vaccination, it's spreading like crazy. And we should not forget that in the Southern Hemisphere, because there's a lot of immunocompromised people, people, for example, with HIV or TB or other disease, this is actually a very fertile ground for the virus to mutate even faster, which is not surprising why we have the Brazil mutation, the South Africa mutation, the Indian mutation, to all the the infectious disease dog, this is not a surprise. This is where you're going to see because big number of people and a lot of immunocompromised people, that this is where you're going to see the most mutation. And so as this is the winter down in the South right now, and as you know, there's a lot of cases, a lot of suffering, and there's very little sequencing capability. The community worries deeply about what's happening right now that we might not be aware yet, that you might have a, an epsilon or another letter of Greek alphabet because we're not at Omega yet that is going to show up. And the virus, because of evolution, is only going one way. As we have seen, we become more, look at the original one and then the UK strain, which took over the US, uh, you know, in, in the winter, I mean, uh, uh, up to March, April, and then the Delta so quickly becoming the dominant strain. Some epidemiologists think that some of the strains most probably are going to merge and converge. So one of, of the physics right now is you're going to see soon, and we don't know if soon is in two weeks or in two months, you're going to see a South Africa and the Delta combined. So you have three mutations on one, two mutations on the other that are problematic to the vaccine. You're going to have five mutations in one virus. 
So I think the good news is the vaccines are working well. The mRNA vaccines are working well. They are holding well, preventing hospitalization and severe disease. But we're not out of the woods yet. We're all working on booster shots where we are adapting and tweaking the sequence of the vaccine to better adapt to the one dose that we give to people to boost them. So I think the, the next 12, 18 months is still going to be pretty intense, pretty complicated. But I'm hopeful that once we get a large number of people vaccinated around the world and are naturally infected, we're going to get to a place that there's less room for the virus to evolve. And so I think the virus mutation is going to start to go asymptotic and then more look like a flu where you have maybe one or two mutations a year when you just get into the cadence of updating the product once a year for a boost. We are working on Moderna to also develop a flu vaccine, which is in clinical study now. And our goal is to get you a respiratory vaccine where you get one shot at your local CVS or doc every you know, late summer, early fall. It will protect you for the COVID variant of that year, the flu variant of that year, seasonal flu, into a single dose. And you spend a nice winter until you do the next thing with a new software upgrade of mRNA for the next year. And you keep going. So, so I think we're going to get into a world where we're going to live with that thing. Uh, but I think we still have, and of course, when every country is in a different space, but I think we're going to get uh, another 12 to 18 months that it's going to still be complicated. So those of you that have not been vaccinated, well, please go get vaccinated to protect yourself and to protect your loved ones, because the virus is only going to go more and more virulent, more and more infectious. And whenever it's time for boosting something, don't forget to go boosting because your immune system, your antibodies are going down with time. And so at some stage, you need to get them back up, and that's what the booster do. So clearly, this is sort of a little bit of a race, right, that you have. And uh, because we're still, like you said, 18 months away before it becomes sort of more just a normal course of life, and you sort of just get this annual shot. But until then, there's a lot to be done in terms of, I'm sure for you, hiring people, buying machines, doing partnerships, increasing production from billions, three billion doses, et cetera. Maybe, what does that, what does that mean? And um, how are you sort of securely scaling uh, the company? And, and then obviously technology these days is a part of the com company to do so. Sure. So indeed, so this year, you know, we're on track for a billion doses, And next year, you know, two to three billion doses. The piece that has really helped us tremendously is really all the technology that we had before and that we're still investing on very, very, very quickly. You know, the enterprise is working on AWS. Uh, I think we were, according to SAP, the first company to use SAP HANA in the cloud in the pharmaceutical industry a few years ago. And we had this vision since the beginning to say, look, we have a chance to have a new company with no legacy system. Let's use that as a, as a major benefit to think forward and to use really state-of-the-art state of the art systems and integration platforms and technologies. And that has been really amazing how it has helped us scale. I mean, one of the examples that you could not think about doing in, in normal tools is we partnered with Lonza, one of the biggest companies in the world for contract manufacturing in pharmaceutical to help us in addition to our plant. And we're able to basically create a new system in their plant by duplicating, you know, our SAP system in the cloud and basically creating a new virtual plant in a matter of maybe a week or so, uh, which was just crazy. And so technology for us is, is a way to do things very differently. I think we're in, a, in the age where being able to move the enterprise fully digital from, you know, uh, 
the entire kind of value chain across the enterprise is, I mean, I'm seeing things that are obvious for everybody, the only way to go, going, you know, having big business process across the enterprise that are, you know, analog, digital, digital, analog, analog, digital is kind of crazy. Once you have information in digital format, you need to make sure you can move it around and keep everything digital. And so I think the time is really amazing. And I think the crisis, like always, has, has fast forward the, the world. It has clearly for Moderna, as I told you, we were supposed to launch a product in 24 and it became end of 2020. So massive acceleration, massive validation. You know, when we launched that product, we will have had, you know, maybe five, 10 million dollars sold the first year, not a billion dollars. So incredible kind of scale up. And I think it's the same thing around working virtually, the tools we use and all the things that technology enables. And, and I think AI enables. One of the big things we're doing now at the company is, you know, we are using AI, uh, but we have pockets of excellence in AI. If I were to tell you, you know, more than everywhere use AI on a daily basis, that would be a lie. We have groups where people are excellent and do amazing things in AI. And there are groups at the company where people are clueless about AI. And for me, it's a type of change management that I will compare to what happened, I think, in the 90s around just PCs. And so one of the things we're doing right now, which I'm very excited about and I'm kind of driving with a team that I'm sponsoring, is we are launching an AI academy at the company that is basically a partnership with Capital University around the US, plus modules we're going to develop in-house as well. So it's a world program that every employee is going to go through, every employee, and it's going to be a bit like another... The, the Six Sigma thing, you know, different levels of training, uh, including for the executive committee, including for myself, because I know some things of AI, but I'm not black belt in AI. Uh, and the goal is that we're going to have basically a curriculum map for every employee at the company with different type of training. But I want everybody at the company, whether you're a scientist, an operator, or somebody in finance, uh, as a clerk or whatever, to have a minimum, I think it's like four or five days of training so that you understand AI, so that you're not scared of it. So you see real case examples. And this is, I think, part of a transformation that we as leaders in enterprise have to understand that the technology sometimes is way ahead of where the human brain is. We are honored to be part of the technology at Moderna and uh, the infrastructure, right? We are seeing something similar where our goal at VMware has always been, in the past, we've always sort of provided this foundation layer for the data centers, but we gradually expanded to enabling everyone who uses the technology that's running in the data center and now is running in the cloud, just to make it as simple as possible, regardless of where they are, what device they're on and, and whatnot. So uh, completely agree with you. And then, you know, over time, the future is for developers to be able mm -hmm. to rapidly develop the new applications through the power of AI and making that experience and doing so in the cloud easier. And that's something that we have taken as a mission because customers trust our platform and enabling that easily. Uh, now, talking a little bit about, uh, about Moderna at the time when you were scaling the company uh, since February and just going through this endeavor of even changing just the mindset of everyone that when people are saying you're going to focus the company onto, onto this, uh, this situation, Maybe just the complexity of working in that environment when that entire workforce was distributed. And how did you go about doing that? As I'm sure you were, you were also scaling and growing the team at the same time. Maybe just give us a little bit of that experience. Yeah, I mean, I think a few things that was like a lot of, of the companies of people in the audience, you know, the company was already pretty digital before COVID hit. 
in terms of using, you know, kind of tools that are not like WebEx and Zoom and others and, and distributed systems and so on and so forth. So we were able to move pretty quickly. Actually, the company went offline very early because we're in the middle of a virus and studying the virus like crazy. And I think it's in early March that we said everybody who doesn't have to be in the office, you, you work from home. Like I remember an executive committee where we're like, it's crazy. We knew that, I mean, with everything going exponential, it was just a, and we said, we need to play our role to protect our people because if you are sick, they're not going to be able to make the vaccine. So that's not a good idea. And so we, we said, we have to be very conservative. Everybody home, we don't have to be in the office. In the lab, very quickly, people, we told people, do the minimum work in the lab. You do all the reporting, analysis of data at home. And then based on people's preference, some people are morning people, some people like to work in the evening of night. We, people organize themselves to reduce the density in the lab by just spreading their working hours. Some people will show up at four in the morning. Some people will show up you know, at 10 p.m. to start working. And that was fine. And as soon as you're done with your experiment in the lab, you go and you do the rest from home. Uh, the factory was something very scary because uh, people have to be in factory to make products. <laughs> we have not yet found a way to make products with only robots, with a lot of robots, but not only robots. And so a lot of you know PPEs very early on, testing, we started testing in March, everybody every day at the factory. You know, putting apps on iPhones for everybody so that we could do tracing if somebody, in case we got a positive to know exactly who was contaminated, who, who was in contact with that person and so on. So we deployed that very quickly. The piece that helped us a lot, I think, because, you know, sometimes people describe to me from other industries a bit more traumatic experience to kind of go remote or whatever. There was so much need to save every hour on the development of a vaccine that I think our job working remote as a management team was easier than a lot of our colleagues in other industries because we are fighting for our lives and the lives of, of millions of billions of people. And so the team had no choice. I mean, we work nonstop, you know, literally seven days a week. Sometimes we start in the morning and somebody will throw the jokes, like, which day is it today? <laughs> because literally for like, it had been months since we just kept working every day. And one of the things we spent a lot of time with the HR team is worrying about burnout because I could even feel it myself. You know, I would literally you know, get up in the morning at four, go around, come back, take a shower, come here. My wife will bring me breakfast at this desk here. I'm, I'm doing this from home tonight. And uh, and at 10 o'clock, I will you know, go one floor up in, in our townhouse and I will just you not know, die in bed and do it again the next day. And it was like you know this crazy movie where you know, every day is the same thing. And you just say your sanity starts to go crazy, which is why actually as soon as I could, like in the... July, August, September, I went back to the office and sometimes I was the only one on the floor. But just for my own sanity, walking 30 minutes in the morning, seeing the river, you know, as sapiens, we used to be in the forest a long time ago, not in buildings all day long. Uh, and just seeing the river, walking out, you know, and having this, this transition from work to my house was much more healthy than just being nonstop. Totally agree. Totally agree with that. You know, uh, we I remember when everyone sort of, again, became virtual at the time. Within VMware, we got tons of sort of these asks in the healthcare where, you know, our customers wanted to set up pop-up emergency sort of response tents to pop-up testing centers to mass vaccination sites. And, uh, you know, we feel honored that we played a role in just enabling everyone in the industry to be able to serve the citizens of the country and obviously in many places of the world. We had other customers of ours, including Nebraska Medicine, who 
very innovative use. They use their technology to do virtual care via bedside tablets where, you know, the sort of physicians were able to help the patients using the technology in a virtual way. And uh, we also had, you know, uh, so these big, large CT scans and MRIs that were conducted on our technology actually from some of the networks that we never, ever thought would, you know, be possible. But it, it happened, and it happened very successfully, which shows the power of the technology. And like you said, usually it's ahead in terms of how it can be utilized. So it's great. It's great to see. Maybe... Uh, Let's pivot to the future a bit in the last 10, 15 minutes. We've talked about the past, how you've done it. And uh, just uh, talk a little bit about kind of what you see, you know, uh, just some of the future impacts that you see on some of the changes in telemedicine and some of uh, which potentially this pandemic has brought in and then potentially just how, you know, just in general healthcare could evolve. So I think what is interesting for me is already pre-pandemic, there was a lot of convergence of technology. You see sequencing technology, the ability to read you know, genetic instruction of humans or viruses or bacteria with a drop, drawing, cost dropping faster than Moore's law. So you have this, this trend. Then you have the ability to use you know, machine learning, the cloud. And then, so that's kind of in, the enabling technology to accelerate, you know, diagnostic tools like testing or medicines to provide new innovative solutions that are going to transform care in a very profound way. If you think about it, you know, in cancer, for example, which everybody is always very interested about for obvious reasons, you know, in cancer, I would say in the last five, 10 years, we started to see medicines emerge that when they work, this is immuno-oncology, your cancer goes away. So it's like a miracle. You might have metastasis, you know, in all over your body. And if the drug works for you, the, the cancer goes away, like, like a miracle. Unfortunately, they work depending on cancer type, you know, in 20, 30, 40, 60% of people. So we still have a lot to do to find ways to tweak those things and add different components. So I think on the tool set that's available to the, the clinician, there's this incredible tailwind. We are discovering more and more functions of DNA of humans. We can read DNA, but a lot of the genes in the DNA, we don't know really what they do. And so every time we understand more of the bricks, then we can turn this into testing and or drugs. So I think there's this incredible tailwind. And then as you say, the use of technology to understand information and to integrate and aggregate information in healthcare never really happened. It's still crazy to me that to this day, your medical record is all over the place. Your family history is somewhere else. Some of the devices you are not connected what you eat. And so, so if you think about all the PCs that impact health, the data are either analog or digital all over the place. But you think about healthcare, it's about integration because everything is intertwined. But I believe the biggest revolution we're going to see in the next five to 10 years in healthcare is a massive increase of quality of care because we have data and we're able to act on data that is really individualized and evolves with you and your life. And then I think there's going to be a very strong democratization of healthcare because so I believe the pandemic made a lot of people realize that they didn't know much about their health. If you think about this very complex machine we, we are living in and we have to take care of because that's all we have, 
I think there's going to be through this crisis a lot of people, including the young generation, to, that realize that there is a possibility to learn much more and to know much more. And I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities for companies either to build new businesses or to, for new companies to emerge from nowhere, putting all those pieces together because the body is a system. You know, we say it's an immune system. It's a very complex system in your body. It's a central nervous system in the brain. Those things are connected. We now know that what you eat influences, you know, of course, bacteria in your microbiome in your gut. But we now know that your gut is also linked to your brain. And so there's actually some disease in the, in the brain. And so there's all these things that are, we're saying to understand that are very complex, but now we can model using, you know, the cloud, machine learning, and so on. That's going to start to enable us to understand how the human body works for all of us, but then use our real-time data from biomarker and everything else, your genetic material and so on, your microbiome. I could see a world where, you know, down the road, when you go do your annual checkup, you also do, you know, a, a feces sample so to have a microbiome done on it. So it's just another piece of data. So I think we're already going to a world where the ability to understand and to give you very actionable advice that's customized to you and where you are in your life right now is going to be something like we've never seen before. I totally agree. I think the telemedicine has tons of potential and we are truly excited about the emergence of 5G. We're excited about that. We are investing in tons of R&D uh, working with all of the telco providers as they build out their 5G. Any closing thoughts for the audience and perhaps a message of positivity amidst much of the uncertainty that still exists today? Yeah, sure. Maybe first thanking you for the invitation. Uh, I really enjoyed the dialogue. And thanking you and your teams for the tools you have built and all the other companies that have helped us because we clearly could not have done it alone. <laughs> I think, again, the good news is we have shown that you know, science can help us get this under control. We need to do a little bit more work because there was no billions of mRNA capacity sitting idle waiting. And so as we and Pfizer are kind of ramping up manufacturing, the output is, is getting bigger by the month, by the week. And so we're going to get this thing under control. Uh, I have no doubt. We're going to go back to our normal lives. I have no doubt. I think for all of you, you know, we have parents and loved spouse and partners and, and children, uh, we always want them to be healthy and to, to enjoy their life and to be protected. I think the next 5, 10, 15 years are going to see incredible scientific innovation in addition to the technology innovation that are keep pushing everywhere. And I think the quality of life we're going to be able to enjoy as we live, I think, what will be healthier lives as we reverse disease and some mechanism like aging and so on. I think it's going to be really interesting to see this with our bare eyes and to benefit ourselves and to see this into our friends, parents, brothers and sisters and children. So I think it's a very exciting time to be alive, even though it's very challenging for all of us, what I said in most. But I think it's really an amazing time to be alive and to contribute through science and technology to make the world a better place. I certainly feel it that way. Thank you so much, Stefan for your time. Always fun hearing the story. I've heard it a few times, but I've enjoyed it every time. Thank you so much for sharing the story and thank you for what you've been doing. Thank you so much for having me and thank you everybody for all the help you provided us directly or indirectly. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this latest episode. 
please consider subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more insights from technology leaders, as well as global research on key topics, visit vmware.com slash CIO.